Hi, welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of Missing Pieces, MPE Life. I'm your host, Don Anderson. Hey Dad, I'm sorry this song is coming out of the blue. You're a secret thing I never knew about you. I feel like this song is really appropriate for today's episode. Got no memories for reminiscing. I need the pieces of what I'm missing. I need you to call me daddy. Been searching for you for so long. The name of today's episode is The Conversation with Nikki. My name is Nikki Semantic. So technically, I'm not an NPE because um, I was raised by a father who's not my biological father. But unlike NPEs, I actually knew that. And although Nikki is not an NPE, she does have a DNA surprise that she finds out through 23andMe. Although it's not going to be what you think it is. If you're an MPE and you're also in 12-step recovery groups, there's a new group out. It meets at 7.30 a.m. Pacific Time or 10.30 Eastern on Saturday mornings. And it's a Zoom kind of recovery meeting. But it's only for people who are in 12-step programs. So if you're in another 12-step program and would like to join an MPE recovery group, if you want to receive the Zoom link, email me at donnpe.com at iCloud.com. That's Nancy Paul Echo. Dad, I'm trying to be forgiven. Who the hell do I think I'm kidding? I need you to call me daddy. Been searching for you for so it was never a secret in my family. It was always just kind of our family story, but it was never talked about, never discussed. Um... Occasionally, my father would bring it up like every like 10 years or something. Um, But it was always in this way of like, you know, you're the most important person to me. You're my daughter, like just kind of clarifying that relationship. So I never really felt like I had um, the right to ask questions or that I was unable to ask questions. I felt like it would be disloyal to the dad that I was raised with. Did they tell you how you came to be being raised by a man that wasn't your father? Um, It was just my father was someone that my mom was with before she met my dad. My mom met my father I was raised by when I was like nine months old. So he was always in my life as far back as all my memories. And he always used to say, I changed your diapers. And I have photos. I was in my parents' wedding when I was three. So it was always like I knew I had a different biological father, but I didn't ask a single question. And looking back now, like, I think that's so strange that I didn't ask anything. And I realized, like, it didn't feel safe for me to do that. Like, it felt like I would have been, like, really, um, like, hurting my father, I guess, um, by asking anything. And so nothing was ever told to me, and I was never asked. Right? It was never, you know, um, curious. I didn't think I was curious. Um, and then fast forward, I was about to start law school and my parents had gotten a divorce. And so all of a sudden my mom hands me this business card and she's been carrying it around in her wallet or carrying it around with her for 25 years. And it's my biological father's business card. 
And it says his name, which I had never known. Um, and she tells me the story, you know, of how she met him. And he's a chiropractor. And they met um, at a chiropractic convention in Las Vegas. She was there. She was really young, like 19. And he was kind of this older guy. And she was like, yeah, he had like a convertible car. He was driving me around in the strip. And it sounded like it was like this wild night. And it was wild because I see, okay, this guy is a chiropractor. And like the first thing that I thought was, I worked for a chiropractor all four years of college. Like all four years I worked for a chiropractor and I went to a chiropractic convention in Las Vegas, like where they would have met at the same convention. Oh, wow. So that was just like, what? How How would you have never told me or thought that that would be like something that was like something to bring up, you know, like, and she just was like, oh, I never even thought about that connection. I'm like, what? <laughs> 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 that that business card in your wallet wasn't burning a hole. <laughs> it's like, okay. So then the other thing is that, you know, I had wanted to be a lawyer since I was 10. Like it was just innate in me. And it didn't make any sense because no one in my family had gone to college, let alone law school or higher education or had any interest in that. And it was always just something that I was just like this North Star for me. Um, so it was just really interesting to hear, okay, well, like my biological father was a chiropractor, like he did have advanced education. And then when I obviously went online and started stalking everybody in his family, I see all of his siblings are doctors too. Um, so I thought that that like kind of answered that nature versus nurture question that's always burning, you know? Did you have any indication at the time you were stalking him on Facebook if he was your, if he knew about you, if he knew that you existed in the sense that he was your father? Yeah. So my mom was always really unclear about that fact. Um, she kind of thought that she had told him because I I needed um, a surgery when I was like born. And so she thought that she had reached out to him to like get help with that. Um, but she wasn't 100% clear on it. And so um, my thought in the back of my mind, and she only told me this, you know, when she pulled out the business card. Um, my thought in the back of my mind was that like, maybe he kind of knew, but wasn't sure, you know, didn't know for sure. So did you try to contact him? Well, um, I always thought, you know, it was always a joke with me and my friends that it would be really funny to just do a road trip to Reno and get adjusted by him and like not say who I was. Um, and I never did that, but I was talking to a friend and she was like, you know, would you really, you, would you, do you think you would regret it if, you know, something happened to him and you never once reached out? And I realized that I would, that I probably would regret that. You know, I would feel like there was maybe this, like, these questions I could have asked and I didn't ask them. When you were talking about Facebook, did you see, notice any uh, indication that he was married when he had the fling with your mom? And did you have half siblings? that you saw? I found an obituary. Um, so I could tell he was married presently. Um, and I could tell that it didn't seem that he had children. And um, I didn't know if he was married then. Um, I obituary for not he, him. Oh, an obituary for his father. So oh, the okay. obituary said like how who he was survived by. And he, you know, he had his wife next to his name, but not any children. 
So I decided to reach out and I sent a letter. Um, I'm pretty good at Facebook, st- like at online stalking. So I was certain I had a good address. <laughs> I sent it like USPS certified for my law firm. <laughs> and it was a letter and then a whole bunch of pictures. And I had a really hard time cutting down the pictures because we had had our son at that time. And I wanted to send all these cute pictures of him and our wedding and our travels abroad. And so I just kind of put this packet together and then like stuck it in the mail and tracked it. Do you have the copy of the letter that you could read? Um, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I should have known that you would ask that. You're always asking that question. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to pull it up right now? Yeah, or if it makes sense to just, we can do it and I can edit it in later. So I sent it off. I know it was delivered to him, but no answer. Um, And honestly, I think I was fine with that. Um, I felt like I needed to like open a door to see if he would want to walk through it. And if he didn't, that was his choice. But I know that I had done everything I could do. And so that was that. And then the pandemic happened and I was like sitting at home. I had done Ancestry. And all of a sudden I get this like message. And I had linked with his mother. So my grandmother, who the account was being managed by her eldest grandson. And so he messages me and he says, oh, my gosh, it looks like, you know, we're related. How Do you know how we could be related? And I was like. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Your uncle is my biological dad. And he was like really shocked um, and said the family had no idea. And he was really taken back because he thought he was the eldest grandchild. And then it turned out I am. And so he was like lost his identity, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, you know, he said, I want to talk to my dad about this and my uncle. And I said, you know, I, I did reach out to him and he didn't respond. Um. So I'm, I kind of left it at that and I'm, I'm okay with that. So I really haven't heard from him since that. Um, so that was kind of that there. I did ask him because um, I wanted confirmation of whether he had any children. Um, and he said that he, that he did not have any kids. So Nikki never heard back from the cousin. And before we go into the next phase of our story, where Nikki finds out her... 23andMe DNA surprise. I just wanted to fill you guys in on where I know Nikki from. Remember in my very first episode, Unsolved Murder? Remember this? Kay and I are working on another podcast where we hope to solve this homicide. I will update you when it drops. And if you're an attorney in California who has experience getting police reports for victims, please get in touch with us. So not only is Nikki an attorney, so is her husband. And her husband, who is Michael Samanichik. God, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But he's um, the managing attorney at the California Innocence Project. And they help innocent people get out of prison. Sometimes using DNA to help exonerate them. So Nikki reached out to me on Instagram and said, Hey, my husband might be able to help you get those police reports. So the California Innocence Project has a new podcast coming out. Here's a trailer for it. Hello, and welcome to the future home of the California Innocence Project podcast. My name is Michael Simanchik, and I'm the managing attorney for the California Innocence Project. 
I'll be your host and guide through the numerous topics and criminal cases that we'll be covering. And as you'll soon find out, awareness about wrongful convictions is paramount to prevention. Our first season includes emotional stories from real-life exonerees like Amanda Knox and Brian Banks. You'll also hear from famous attorneys and media personalities featured in acclaimed documentaries like Making a Murderer, The Staircase, and The Survivor's Guide to Prison. We will discuss various ways innocent people get convicted for crimes they didn't commit, as well as what to do if you or a loved one gets falsely accused. We will also present ideas for improving our system to make sure the innocent are protected while still prosecuting the guilty. Our show will be available on all of the major podcast apps. Come be part of the journey with us and follow us on social media at California Innocence Project or Legal Talk Network. We'll see you soon on March 31st when we go live. Okay. So then um, fast forward to six months ago. Um, my brother, my half-brother, connects with two people on 23andMe. And um, it looked like him to him that they were cousins. And he could see they had like slightly different DNA percentages. Um, but he could tell that one of them was 14. And so... Um, wait, 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 back up. Slightly different DNA percentages, meaning the two of them? Like different percentages to their relation to him by like right, okay. half a percent or something. Yeah. And my mom and brother are just like, oh my gosh, what is this mystery? We have to solve this. It's so exciting, you know? And they're reaching out to the whole family and they they think that like maybe one of my uncles had a kid they didn't know about. And so then my uncles are kind of excited and they are doing 23andMe and they're all, you know, everyone's kind of just really into this. I like wasn't that into it. I was just kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever. Um, and then my mom calls me one day and she says, um, or actually first thought before that, my brother starts reaching out to them and he says, you know, it looks like we're related. Do you have any idea how we could be related? Um, and they're like, one, the one that he communicated with is like, no, we have no idea. And he says, oh, well, how are you related to this other person? And then she said, well, we're twins. And so then my brother knew they were both uh, 14. So he said, oh, well, how did you do 23andMe? Do your parents know? Because he felt a little uncomfortable talking to them. And they said their parents bought them the test. So he was like, okay. So then fast forward, my mom calls me and she goes, you know, Nikki, your brother and I have been doing the math and it doesn't make sense that um, these girls would have been um, your uncle's kids. Like the math doesn't make sense. Um, but what makes sense is that you, you know, you did donate your eggs, you know, after college, which was about 15 years ago. And I was really taken aback. Like I hadn't even considered that being a possibility. Um, and I did donate my eggs. Um, after college in LA, but part of my contract and part of the thing that I had amended my contract to say was that if the intended parents, that's what they call them, um, when you donate your eggs and then um, a woman is going to, you know, put them 
inside of her to have a baby. She's called the intended mother. So they were supposed to let me know if a baby was actually born. That was like a, a legal requirement of the contract. So in my mind, you know, after I had donated, I followed up a lot of times. I was I really wanted it to be successful. So I, I kept following up and I did find out that the mom was pregnant, but it, they had said that it wasn't successful. And then since I never heard anything else, I just assumed it was not successful at all. And I kind of put it out of my mind. I mean, it was really like a part of my story. Like not a lot of people that knew me didn't know I was an egg donor. I was very open about it. And I was always really sad that it wasn't successful. Um, and the reason that I had wanted to donate my eggs was because my mom's best friend at the time had had children from an egg donor. And I just thought it was like the coolest thing, like that science could do that, that, it, that I could help a woman have a baby um, that I would, you know, have money to help me pay for law school. Like, I just thought all of that was just so cool. So, and because I donated my eggs, I had two friends who donated their eggs and had actually like a lot of children result from their donations. So I was always really bummed that mine wasn't successful. And then come to find, you know, my mom saying like, these could be your biological children. So we kind of do the math, the math, makes perfect sense. The time makes perfect sense. Um, and I am just like completely taken aback and shocked. And my brother, um, you know, he's already communicated with them and opened this door. And so then he says to them, like, you know, are your, are your parents aware of what's going on? Because I think I know how we might be related, but I want to make sure that they're comfortable with you talking about it with me. And they said that they were. And so he said, you know, my sister was an egg donor after college in L.A. And that could be the reason that we're related. And they were shocked. They had no idea that they were conceived with an egg donor. And, you know, they said that they had seen pictures of their mom pregnant. Um, so they were just, you know, obviously really surprised by the news. And I felt horrible that that's how they found out. Um, I had a lot of guilt about that. And I was angry because I felt really blindsided that, you know, I, I, I should have been told and I wasn't. And then I felt really stupid because obviously I donated my eggs. So it wasn't like this wasn't in the realm of possibility. Um, so I went through like a lot of different emotions about the whole thing back up a little bit so when your friends who also were egg donors and they were told as they were should have been yes they were all told mm -hmm. but it's you know everybody with an egg donation it's a contractual relationship and this industry has changed a lot um, actually, I worked for a fertility law firm in law school because after I donated, it, I was really interested in this area of law. And back then, um, egg donors, you know, you would be matched. They would find you. I think they, they could see pictures of you. You would get some information about the families um, and you would enter into a contract and the contract would kind of say the terms. And almost everybody at that time was anonymous. Um, that was just what I was told was the only really option. And I'm sure that's what the parents were told. That's just how it was. 
And a lot of them would be open at 18. So the anonymous, but at 18, if they wanted to reach out, they could. Um, but it was really important to me because I was donating in LA and I live in San Diego that I knew if children resulted. Um, and I just felt like had I known, it just wouldn't have been such a surprise. Like if it, if I had known, but I felt like I had lost all this time not knowing. Um, and that was like really difficult for me. And how did it make you feel? So you have two kids? Yeah, I have two kids now. Two and a half and six. I'm trying to think how to word this because I want to do it carefully. I'm just going to say what I'm thinking and I can always edit it out. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, it it must, there must be some feelings in there that you feel like your, your kids that you had are your real kids, right? That, um, I mean, but then I could see the flip side of that, that you would feel bad for having that feeling. So can, I mean, did you go through any of that? I think, well, after I, um, after I like went through this experience, I dived, dove deeply into like the donor conceived world and Facebook groups. And that's how I found your podcast. And that's kind of just how I am. I like dive deeply into something. I become obsessed. And what I found is that, you know, the idea with a donation is you give the donation, it's a part of you and that's it, right? But like that doesn't really equate for how it feels. And I couldn't have known that when I was 22 and didn't have my own children, what it would feel like later on. Um, and I think part of the reason that I feel the way I do is unique because I grew up in a situation where I didn't know half of my DNA. So I'm very clear on what that feels like. And so a lot of my feelings that I have towards it are empathy for what I think they might be feeling right? To not know half of their DNA. I don't for like a second believe that I'm their mother, um, like in the true sense of the word. Their mother bird them. She gave them a life, all of that. But I do feel like deeply connected to them in a way that like I couldn't have predicted before. And I also feel like, you know, I only have two half brothers. And now to come to find my two children also have two half siblings. Like, I feel a sense of responsibility for that, too, and what that will mean in their lives. Um, so it's, it's very complicated. And, you know, a lot of people will say to me, um, well, why wouldn't, why would the parents have bought the DNA test without telling them? Like, wouldn't have known this could happen? And I think, like, first of all, we're assuming that the parents actually did buy it and that they did know and, and maybe they didn't. But I, I know as a parent, we're kind of always just doing the best that we can. And like the best we can isn't always like the right answer. We don't always know the right answer. Um, but I can imagine, especially because things were a bit different then. Um, and it was all anonymous and, and people couldn't have had the foresight to think about what would happen with DNA testing. But I think it's, it's a hard thing to explain to like a very small child. And if you miss the window and you don't tell them when they're very, very young, and then you wait until they understand how anatomy works and how sex works, then at that point, they're at like a really fragile age, you know, and then 
is that the right time to tell them? And so I could imagine that you would then think, well, maybe I'll tell them when they're older or when they're 18 or when, and and then all of a sudden you just don't. And so I, I, I'm not sitting in judgment of what the parents did or didn't do because I can imagine that it would have been difficult. And I wish that that's not how they found out. Like I wish that I wasn't, I wish that their parents would have told them because I think it probably would have been easier on them. But I don't know. Maybe it was how they were meant to find out. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, I was told. So it's like I get the other side of that. Like I was told, but I don't know that it made my situation much easier. I mean, I never had to go through the shock of it, but I never had answers. Like you could be told and still be kind of blindsided by what the real reality is. Um, but I, yeah, I think now we know and what I've, I've learned being part of these donor conceived groups and just like learning about what that would be like is that donor conceived people are like, you know, you entered into a contract to create me that I wasn't a part of. I had no say in. And you're telling me that I can't find out about half of my DNA pursuant to some contract until I'm 18. Like, that's just crazy, right? It's so unfair. And I think a lot of them feel like they were not a recipient of a donation. Like, they're just a human that didn't have the choice of how they were conceived. And so, rightfully so, I think that they find it to be really unfair. Um, and they have a lot of anger about that. And they're doing a lot to try to change laws um, about making these things not anonymous. So I, I just like, you know, being in those groups, I feel like I feel a lot of responsibility to be open to who I am and allow them to like find me if they want to. So let's talk about that. So um, your brother told them that you donated eggs, right? Mm -hmm. And they said they didn't know that. They saw their mom's pregnant. And then what happened? Did Was there any more communication between them? No. Um, at that After that, I just said, you know, let's, if they want to ask you anything, like you said, you're open to answering questions, but like, let's let them reach out. Um, and then I, and then what I did was I reached out to the agency that I donated through and I told them what happened. And they said, you know, don't worry about it. This is really common. I'm, I'm matching people all the time when we find out these kind of things happen and, and we'll find them and get them. I really wanted a message to the parents because what I feared was that 14 is just such a delicate age. And I didn't want these girls having gotten this like insane news and then not tell their parents and not have support. Right. So I just mm. wanted their parents to know what had happened. So I wanted to get a message right away to the parents to be able to say, hey, your kids found out about this, like, you know, do what you need to do. Um, and the agency, um, I reached out to the agency and they were like, we'll connect you with them. Don't worry about it. It happens all the time. And then they said, well, actually, you're not going to believe this, but there was a fire. Um, and we lost all of our records um, except for one computer, which we can't connect to the Internet because we'll lose everything. <laughs> and that has all the records. And I was like, okay, that's strange. <laughs> so they couldn't get accurate information for the parents to reach out to them. And so then I started working with the clinic and trying to get them to connect. And I mean, I called a million times and didn't get anyone to call me back. And 
finally, the agency said, the clinic talked to us. They're going to send a message to the parents. And I still haven't heard anything. So I don't really know if the parents know or if they got that message. Um, since joining some of those donor-conceived groups, I found out that a lot of donor-conceived people say that this industry has more floods and fires than any other and that it's all just a big sham. Um, I don't know if I if I'm cynical enough to believe that she was lying to me, but um, all I know is that I really did what I could to try to like send over a message that I was open to contact or open and just to let them know what had occurred. So then um, I decided maybe I should join 23andMe to just like give them an avenue to connect if they wanted to at some point in the future and to kind of send the message that not an actual message, but like show them that I was open to it. Because maybe by me not joining, it would indicate to them that I wasn't open to connecting with them. So I did that. And that's where we are now is I've just joined. Um, and I know they've logged in and, and seen me on there. Um, so now they have my name and, you know, they can Google stalk me. Um, but that's all I know. So to, to back up, so in the bio father, there's been no further communication. No. So it's interesting to me that someone who doesn't have kids, right, wouldn't be more curious. Yeah, me too. I mean, that that was what I was so shocked about is wouldn't you want to see, I mean, that's what I'm dying about. I have my own two children, but I want to know everything about these girls. I want to know what they look like, what their personalities are like, what are they interested in, what are their likes, you know, and if I didn't have kids, I would want to, I mean, we're all a bit narcissistic like that, right? We want to see what, what would a child of ours look like. Um, so it was shocking to me that I sent that and maybe that was it, that he was fine seeing the photos or he just really never wanted children and didn't feel like he had a choice in me being around. And so he didn't feel any interest. I mean, a lot of people will ask like, what do I, you know, what do I want out of this with the egg, you know, the egg babies, I call them. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you, egg babies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think like what it comes down to is that like, I don't want what happened to me to happen to them. Like I want to be available to them so they can know where they came from genetically. And I grew up feeling like oftentimes unconnected to the family of my origin. And that is really challenging. And I never felt like I had the right to know the other part of me or to ask questions or to even feel like anything was missing because I did have a dad there. But now I'm learning that I do have that right. And I think a lot of MPEs, I, I always hear them say um, about their bio parents that they don't want anything from them or they don't need anything from them. And I think that's really interesting. It's like we say that, but like we don't believe we have a right to want anything. But like, is that really true that we don't want anything? <laughs> you know, like, don't we want to know what those pieces are? And like, we want we want questions answered and we want to like, ultimately, we want someone to want to know us too. And so like, that's what I want. I want to know them and know what, you know, what they're like, what they look like. Um, and for them to know me 
not to be their mother or anything like that, but just to like know them. Yeah. It's so interesting you say that about the, um, I'm sure you listen to all my episodes, but <laughs> the one where Corey and I wrote the song together. Did you mm-hmm. hear that? Yeah. So in that we had a, not a fight or anything, but I had this line that I came up with that went, that said, I don't want nothing from you. And then my line was, we both know that's a lie. And I just, we ended up keeping the lie part in there, but it wasn't what I want. It would be compromised, which is, you know, as an attorney, you know, that when you compromise, no one's happy. <laughs> that's the way it should be. <laughs> but Corey came up with a great substitute and I'll play it for you here, but I won't live with the lie, which is a pretty good line too, but. I don't want nothing from you, but I won't live with the lie. But I also think, but we both know that's a lie. It's also a really good line. But I really wanted it in there because I do think it's a lie. And I probably won't have this in this podcast and piss everybody off. But I think, like, I just want medical information. Like, no. But I really like your take on it that it's not because we're liars. It's because we don't feel we deserve the information. It's true. And I felt that way. Like, I felt like I told myself forever, oh, I, I would always say, I'm not, people would say, why don't you ask questions about your biological dad? Oh, I don't, I don't have any questions because I have a dad. I'm not missing anything. I'm not missing any part of me. So like, I don't need to ask those questions. I don't want anything from somebody else. And it was like, I just didn't feel like I had the right to ask those questions or to know. And I think that's what it comes down to is like, you don't feel like you do you have the right to want anything. Or maybe you'll be more accepted if you don't want anything. But I wish we could be more honest about it. Yeah, because I feel that way with, uh, and I, I probably said this before somewhere, but the with the, so my bio dad, you know, died way before I met him. But he has a brother that's still alive, so it's my Uncle Dwayne. And I feel like, I haven't earned the right to call him uncle. Do you know what I mean? Even though uncle is purely a genetic thing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I just don't feel like I've earned the right to be his nephew. You know, not that I did anything wrong, obviously, but it's just that, I mean, that's just exactly how it feels. I haven't earned it. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of a strange feeling we, it is feelings we deal with. It's weird. Yeah. I get it though. So basically you're batting 0 for 2. (laughs) <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, over three. No, really. over three. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to tell the audience. So Nikki enlisted me because she saw how sleuthy I was on the internet. But, <laughs> but I, because we're trying to just find out about the parents, right? And they like yeah. you. They are. There's no. I mean, I couldn't find anything. I know. I mean, I, I found a little something, but. <laughs> It's. I know. I was like, Don might be better than me, but then you didn't really find out a lot know. more than I did. <laughs> I didn't find out anything more. Yeah, it, it's like I. I wondered. I don't know if I told you this on Instagram, but I wondered if the parents found out and then pulled everything of their families off of social media, which probably isn't true because they're still on Twenty Three and Me, right? I thought maybe the parents took the Twenty Three and Me because they hadn't logged in in a long time, and then they did log in. So. I don't, I don't know. 
because that just happened to me with somebody that I've been, you know, it says they haven't showed up in over six months. And then all of a sudden yep. it said and then it this shows. week. Yeah. I know. And then you're like, at first it says like within the last day, within the last week. <laughs> it's like, yeah. You're like staring at that 23 and me being like, what, you're not checking it 10 times a day like me? <laughs> no, I check it so much. <laughs> and it's really stupid at my pace because I had a, I have it set up to my email. So I'll get an email if someone leaves me a message. But I do, I've been, you know, and I, I want to ask your opinion on this too. Not necessarily on the air, but. So I think I my mom has an NPE half-sister. Like, should I contact that woman? So here's what the sister told me yesterday. She said that. So the aunt of the guy that I matched with, um, who I've been talking to, said that, well, my sister doesn't talk to any of us. She's just a different kind of person. She's whatever. Um, she doesn't talk to any of us. And I just, I kind of sent an email back just saying, well, before I found out I was an MBE, I didn't talk to my family that much. Like maybe she's always felt different. Mm-hmm. And like, it doesn't know why. And so I'm just, I don't know, like, kind of compelling me to call her. And this would give her that. Yeah. Although. How does your mom feel about it? I haven't told her because I didn't want to. You think that's I don't bad? think I don't <laughs> think that you should reach out to this woman without reaching out to your mom. First. Like, I think you have to tell your mom first. Like, what do you feel is what's your calling to do it? Like, what is the reason? Like, do you feel like everyone should know the truth about yes. their origins? Is that like the mission? Yes. I mean, that's totally it. I feel like everybody needs to know the truth if they want to know the truth. And I think like um, what was interesting, I think about the the last one I listened to, it, it said that like, oh, it was with your wife. How like you, your life is so much better because of it. But like, that's unusual. Like a lot of people's lives aren't better once they learn the truth. Yeah. I know. And that's why I'm torn. Like, what, you know, I could just let it go. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, it's tricky. I think that bit about like her not feeling connected to the rest of the families, that would be hard for me because I, I know that feeling. And sometimes that just answers questions for you. And like, that's how it was for me. I was like, why is everyone like, why am I so different innately and interested in like, you know, getting all this education and doing all this and like not a single person in my family has ever been interested in that. How many half siblings do you have? Two brothers. And they're from your father that you grew up with and your mom? Mm-hmm. And it was funny when my mom looked at the results, I was like, yeah, um, it's so weird. I'm, I'm like related to these girls more than my brother's that I'm relating to my brothers. And she was like, it was really weird for me to see that they were your half brothers. I've never thought of it that way. I didn't even like occur to me. And I was like, that's so interesting. Cause that I definitely think about that. So let me ask you a question. Do you think about that in the sense that you're separate from them or do you, I'm going to use the word feel sorry, even though it's more than one word, but I don't think it's really it, but I kind of feel sorry for myself that I don't have a full sibling. 
Like that really kind of bothers me. Because I just don't know what that's like. Yeah, to feel really, 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 truly connected to someone. Because part of the connection that you have with siblings is the shared experience. Mm-hmm. And like I am five and seven years older than my brothers. And I grew up moving all the time. Like my parents were really young and they literally pulled out a map and like went like this boop, and picked a spot. Yeah. So I grew up moving all the time. Like I was just talking to my mom about this because she said, you know, it's so weird. You're you're probably going to die in that house that you live in. You're never going to move. And that's so opposite of, you know, me and um, your brothers will probably always be moving. And I said, well, that's because I grew up moving every couple of years. Like the longest I'd ever lived anywhere was college because I suddenly now had control of not moving. Um, right. And then now I'm, I moved to San Diego. I've been here like 18 years. 17 years or something. And did your brothers, half-brothers, um, have a totally different childhood than you? Yeah, they had a totally different childhood because by the time they were like in kind of elementary school, my parents were in one town and that's where they graduated high school. Mm. So they were, they never moved. Um, but I grew up moving all the time. So it was just, it was a different childhood. So, and then when we, you know, I'm sure it might be like this with your siblings, you talk about your memories and everybody remembers it slightly different. Like, mm-hmm. no, we lived at this house when that happened or no, this happened. And so already your memories are different, but like we really had such drastically different childhoods. Like my parents were young, like super young. And so it was me that was like, Hey, you guys were supposed to be wearing a seatbelt in the car. Did you guys know that? <laughs> you know, it was like me telling them what, you know, how, how things were supposed to be from what I was learning at school. Because they were really young and poor and um, my parents, my brothers had like a totally different upbringing. I went to, I always talk about myself on my podcast. I didn't know you know that. I only went to the same school twice for the whole year. I said that backwards. I only went to the same school all year twice. Every Uh, other time I moved. I mean, that's worse than me, but yeah, I was about the same. I mean, I would go back to the same school, if that makes sense. Like I would go to another school and then come back. Yeah. Yeah. But it was always in the middle of the year kind of shit. Like my, you know, my mom didn't have the, we're going to wait until summer. Oh, I know. I had a friend and she was like, well, if we moved, we'd have to do it like the beginning of middle school. I go, what do you mean? My parents used to move me on a Tuesday, (laughs) like middle of the year. (laughs) (laughs) They had no thought about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Same thing. And then Nikki decided to pull my covers on my own podcast. I think it's interesting that you like have this desire to be like this truth vigilante for other people, but you don't want to say anything to your dad or say anything to your mom about her potential half sister. Wow. That's pretty spot on. You you should be a therapist, maybe. (laughs) I just left my own therapy. So you get your pencil sharpened. But I didn't I wow. didn't tell my dad that I reached out to my biological father. Like I would never. Like no I always knew I wasn't related, but now that I'm like I have this other person that I can like know that I'm related to, it makes me feel like more unrelated. And I feel like I can now disattach more than I did before. So you feel less attached to him now? Yeah, because he, like, what I realized was our attachment was he would always tell me, 
you're my guardian angel. Like before I met you, um, my life was like totally off the rails. You like, you know, got me in a better place. I fell in love with you before your mom. Like you mean the world to me. Like it was always this like messaging. And so like, I just believed that. And I didn't, there weren't actions really to back it up, but I just believed that because that's what I was hearing. It was like kind of a subtle manipulation. And then once I kind of like realized that and I was able to step back and be like, oh, and I don't have feelings towards you because you're not my biological father. And like, that's okay. Like I felt a lot of guilt because he was a father he didn't have to be. Like he stepped up and he provided for me and he did all this stuff that a father should do. He didn't abuse me. You know, he's always around. So I felt guilty. Like, why don't I feel connected to you? And like, that's okay. But I couldn't see that before. Let me see if I can find the letter I wrote. Okay, I found it. Oh, gosh. I feel nervous about reading this. Do you not want to? No, it's fine. Okay, I'm writing to you because I believe that I am your biological daughter. My mother met you when she was 18 or 19 and subsequently became pregnant with me. When I was about five months old, my mother met a man who came to who I came to view as my father. I always knew he was not my biological father, but because I had him in my life, I didn't feel the need to search for or ask about my biological father. When I was around 24, my mom gave me your name and showed me a business card she had been carrying around since she met you. Up until this point, I had never asked her any questions about, my, about you. It's not because I'm not a curious person. I'm insatiably curious. I think what prevented me from asking was loyalty to the father I knew. I found it interesting when my mom told me that you're a chiropractor. That was such a strange coincidence because I worked for a chiropractor all four years of college and even attended a chiropractic convention in Las Vegas during that time. Also, I'm the first and only person in my family to attend college or graduate school, so it interested me to find out that you were also formally educated. I am now 36, so you might be wondering what it would have caused me to finally reach out, even though I have known you for the last 12 years or have known of you for the last 12 or so years. To be honest, I'm not sure. I recently did the ancestry DNA test and assumed something would come back that linked me to relatives on my father's side. Recently, I did get a link for a woman named Claudia Frett, who is listed as a first or second cousin. I looked her up on Facebook and found she was friends with you. So that was the first time I had any real evidence that we may be biologically linked. Part of me feels strange that I know of you and you may or may not know of me or about me. So I thought I would write and tell you a bit about myself in case you ever wondered. Should I not do this next part? <laughs> I mean, I don't think... I don't think we need it. If you want to, go ahead. Yeah, that's just like all about me. Part of what caused me hesitation in reaching out to you was that I never wanted to do anything that might disrupt you or your family. I most sincerely hope that this letter did not do that. Of course, I'm curious about you and who you are and the life that you have lived. Genetics aside, I'm sure that we have many common similarities that I've never been able to find with the father I do know. I wish you nothing but the best and have no resentment or anger for not having known you. If you do feel the desire to reach out, please free, feel, feel free to contact me by email or old-fashioned mail. If I don't hear from you, I will assume you don't want to be contacted and I will leave it be. I have included a few pictures of me and my family. 
That's great. I mean, it's a great letter. I mean, if I found out I had a child that I didn't know about, that would be the letter I'd want to get. I mean, it's so funny because, you know, my husband, he found out that I have like two, you know, bio egg children and he's like so excited about it. He's like, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait to meet them. I can't wait to introduce our kids to them. Like he just thinks it's the coolest thing. Um, and I would too. You know, apart from if there was like a cheating thing, <laughs> that'd be a bummer. But <laughs> first of all, I feel bad at making that joke that you're over three. <laughs> but I hope, like, I don't know. It just it, it it sounded like in the letter that you're honestly okay with him not getting back to you, like, and I I felt that too from you. But I don't think I would be. Like, I don't know if I could do the one and done. Yeah, I don't know why I am. Maybe because my father was around, like I had that piece. Hmm. I don't know. It is interesting that somebody that, I mean, I look at you and your husband's reaction to finding the girls, right? Like if somebody doesn't have that reaction, like it definitely isn't about you. And it's like, would you even want to know somebody that's having the opposite reaction to that, you know? Do your sisters have any indication of like what your bio dad's reaction would have been? Because didn't he like always want a son? Yeah. No, they said, you know, and I was in a foster home for a while when I was later and they were like, there's no way you would, he would have let you. Sorry. <laughs> That's really hard. Yeah. But that's but, like, I, I think that should bring you comfort, you know? Yeah. And I also, I want to say it's, it sounds a lot sadder than it is. My, the foster home I went to was amazing and I'm still in touch with them. And wow, that's great. Yeah. I, mean, I was only with them for a year or so. But. Well, thank you for your podcast. Like, I know I'm not an NPE, but it's still like provided me a lot of comfort and like, I love it. I love how honest you are and like, you're just like totally yourself on it. And like, wow, <laughs> it's really great. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, I appreciate it. And thank you for coming on. And yeah, but thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. Good luck in the future. If anything, I can help stalk anybody. Let me know. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. Hey, Dad, I'm sorry this phone is coming out of the blue. You're a secret thing. I'd like to thank Nikki today for being the guest and giving me free therapy and pulling the covers. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share this podcast. It really helps a lot. Thank you so much for everyone who's left reviews. I love, love, love hearing from you guys. Thank you. And if you want to get in touch with me, reach out to me on Instagram. NPE underscore life underscore podcast on Instagram. Or email me at donnpe at icloud.com. I'd like to thank Billy Sullivan of Sully Stone Music for providing all the music on today's episode, except for the one you're listening to now, which is, of course, the great Corey Goodrich. Hey, Dad, how are you? It's me. It's just the child you left behind. I don't want nothing from you. But the I NPE song, Hey, Dad. You can find it wherever you stream music, and you can buy it on iTunes. When I look in the mirror, 
Missing Pieces is produced, written, and edited by me, yours truly, Don Anderson. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Looking back at me.